you go. Have a Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you find that offensive, please note that that's me saying it and not the shop. The corporation supports all sorts of holidays, even some I've never actually heard of. But me, I'm a Christmas girl. <laughs> I really think I need somebody to talk me off this caffeine cliff. <laughs> Whew. May I help you? Hi. I don't suppose you have a drink back there that'll make a guy propose, do you? Honey, if I did, I would drink a grande every day. Finally, a response. My kids aren't dead. Glad to hear it, Harry. Well, that doesn't look like good news. No, they, uh, turns out they, uh, think I'll have a... Uh... <laughs> How about a donut on the house? can't make it out this year, can I? No. Some kind of scheduling problem. I sent them money, but that doesn't seem to matter. I haven't seen my grandchildren in over a year. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power as we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Our thanks to Bob Lee and the Bad Group, Bel Air Drama Department, for these uh, beautiful vignettes done throughout the Advent season. And one of the stars is sitting right here on the front row. And we're delighted. Thank you. The sermon lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, uh, 26 through 38, and it's up on the screen. I'd love to have you read it with me. Will you do that? Will you do that? Yes. Together, please. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the word. Bill Cosby said, if you're going to name a child, be sure the name ends in a vowel. How come? Because he said, when you yell after that child, it will carry for a long, long time. Three million children will be added to this planet next year. And when we add children to this planet, we name them. We don't give them numbers. We actually name them. And we believe it's important how you name a child. Now, some people do it according to uh, sentiment. Some people like the sound of a certain name. Some people do it because of historical significance. The important thing is that somebody gets named. We don't always pay a whole lot of attention to what the name means in a particular situation. I know people who have named their children after cars, Lexus, Mercedes. And then I've certainly known people who gave a child a proper name, but then they gave the child a nickname. Tiger, Trey, Bubba, Bitsy, Sugar, stuff like that. I played hockey with a guy, big guy, and he was called Meat. Meat Gordon was his name. When I was in Tulsa, there was a man there whose last name was first. What do you think his first name was? Safety. What do you think his profession was? Medicine. Safety first, right? And then in Tulsa, there were also another family. The last name was Fail. What do you think they called their kids? Will and Never. How often do you see somebody that's named Barbara? Do you think Barbara understands that her name really means uncivilized? My name is David Garth McKechnie. David means beloved. Garth means little garden. Beloved little garden. Isn't that lovely? Sure. It's only fair to assume that Mary and Joseph were thinking about naming this child, and all of their musings were suddenly interrupted. An angel came into view. And this angel appeared, and according to Matthew chapter 1, appeared to Joseph, but then in Luke chapter 1, says the angel also appeared to Mary. And the message was a prediction and a command. The command was, call his name Jesus. And the prediction? He will save his people from their sins. A command and a prediction. Jesus, in the first century, was an ordinary common name. In the Hispanic community, Jesus is common to this day. And Jesus is really the Greek of the Hebrew Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation, or he will save his people. And Jesus really meant something about salvation itself. Now you can imagine somebody today who's called Jesus or Jesus, it's ironic for them. Can they save anybody? Can they make any difference? Is it possible that they can save this world 
from its sins, from the tyranny of its transgressions? Could they possibly save this world from its pride? Could they save this world from destruction? For most people, the name is simply ironic. And it was Jesus of Nazareth who made the name great, not vice versa. She was a cute little thing. It was Christmas time, and she said, I really like Santa Claus better than I do Jesus. So how come? She said, well, with Santa Claus, you only have to be good at Christmas time. With Jesus, you got to be good all the time. The name Jesus was not casually assigned to this baby. The name Jesus was not capriciously imposed on this baby. The name Jesus was orchestrated by God. Yes, the name means saved. The whole incarnation was orchestrated by God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. How in the world do we assess all of that? All we can do is simply celebrate it. We don't try to explain it. And what do we do with Joseph? Did Joseph adopt Jesus? What did, what did he do with Jesus? It had to be difficult for him. And do you think that Joseph took him in so that we might be able to say that Jesus was part of the Davidic line out of the Old Testament, the redemptive line as it flows through the Old Testament? Is that the intent? Some time ago, I was at the Cathedral of the Angels. Have you ever been there in downtown L.A.? Beautiful, stunning facility, beautiful. And a man by the name of Christopher Sladoff has done some beautiful bronzes. Many of them are throughout this city, but one of them is there in the Cathedral of the Angels. It's called Adoption. And I happened to be there when he was explaining it. And he told how he saw Jesus as a four-year-old boy standing on the workbench in the carpenter shop. And he's got Joseph standing there next to Jesus as a four-year-old boy. And Joseph has a hammer in his hand, but he's got his arm around Jesus, and the two of them are looking at each other. This is the fourth Sunday in Advent. It's the Sunday of love, and the love that is exchanged in those facial expressions is just superb. It's a magnificent expression of adoption. In a sense, Joseph adopted the Savior. In a sense, the Savior adopts all of us. On the eighth day after birth, a boy child was circumcised. It was during that circumcision ceremony in the Jewish community that the father had the prerogative to name the child. And as you know, there was a command and a prediction. You shall name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's the prediction. It wasn't save them from the rotten Roman yoke. They hated the Roman yoke. It was as if the Romans had their heel on the throat of the Jews all throughout Palestine. But that was not the message. Jesus was to save these people from the sorry round of alienation, estrangement, guilt, shame, and sin. Jesus was there to save these people and to express the ultimate power that can disperse the power of evil. In the name of Jesus, we are baptized. We are also married. We are also buried. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we are called, ordained, and installed. In the name of Jesus Christ, we move from alienation to reconciliation. In the name of Jesus Christ, we move from repentance to forgiveness. That name is above every name. And the name takes significance for us when we put our trust in the Savior and our whole perspective on life is profoundly challenged and ultimately changed. One of the great things about the name of Jesus Christ is that it releases us from bondage. I have seen in the name of Jesus Christ released from the bondage of substance abuse. In the name of Jesus Christ, I've seen people released from the bondage of failure, of low self-esteem, of meaninglessness, and of psychosomatic illnesses. The name of Jesus Christ is the name above every name, and there is power there that we can't even imagine or attempt to measure. I have always been a big fan of Bill Cosby. Cosby has the ability to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I've, I've always been intrigued. I was at one of his concerts or shows, and I was sitting very close to the front, and Cosby started talking about his brother. And he said, until I was four years old, I thought my brother's name was Dammit. <laughs> he said, because all I ever heard was, look, Dammit, come here, Dammit, stop that, Dammit. Let me tell you what the good news is for you and me. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a new name. You know what the new name is? Christian or Christ one. We are invited to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And our new name gets added to our old one. That new name makes all the difference in the world to us. In Jesus Christ, we are not free from the consequences of our sin. But we are introduced to a power that is greater than evil in this world. In Jesus Christ, we are introduced to what God is like. In Jesus Christ, we are introduced to what we are called to be in Christ, new creatures. In Jesus Christ, we have a standard, a new standard, a point of reference in life, a centering point for all of life. We have standards in terms of time, Greenwich Mean Time. We have standards in terms of navigation. The North Star is really our load star. And that is the key for navigation. We also have standards in terms of pitch. The international standard for pitch is concert A, 440 vibrations per second. It's a standard. And for me, the standard in life is the cross of Christ. That is my hinge of history. It is of utmost importance. And it represents for me the incarnation, yes, the birth of Christ but it also represents the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, what we call our Christology, our logic concerning Jesus Christ. That cross is really important to me. And so I was genuinely saddened this week when I read the editorial in the Los Angeles Times. And it was simply titled, Tear Down That Cross. Tear Down That Cross. Did you see it? And they were talking about the Mount Soldad cross down towards San Diego tear down that cross. It actually hurt me when I read that. 
And you see, for me, the cross is transcredal. The cross is transracial. The cross is transformational. That's my standard. That's my hinge of history. It's that important. I marvel at UPS and their delivery system. I mean, those brown trucks are everywhere at all hours. Do you realize they have 100,000, 100,000 trucks working right now, this time of year, 100,000 trucks. They deliver 300 packages a second. Now, that's a delivery system, man, let me tell you. But you know what's really impressive is God's delivery system. He gave us a savior in the least threatening form of life, that of a baby. Wally was nine years old in the second grade. He was a big kid for his age. He was a little slower than the others. His developmental system had not exactly kicked in like everybody else. But he was a sweet kid and everybody liked him, but he was just a little bit slow on the uptick. And so, the second grade was assigned to do the Christmas pageant at this particular school. So Wally's teacher said, Wally, I want you to be the innkeeper. She thought his size might be a little intimidating for Mary and Joseph, and she thought it would be really good if, if he would just use his strength to kind of enforce the rule that there was no room in the inn. So Wally took the assignment. The night of the extravaganza arrived and the parents were there, and the grandparents, and all the other friends of the family. It was a big deal. And they all had their cameras. They were all set to go. The creche was in the middle of the stage, and there were the shepherds, wrapped up in their robes and with their staffs. And then you had the three kings with their crowns and the gifts. And then you had the angels with their wings and their halos. All of them all set to go. Little bit scared, yes, but ready to go. Joseph comes across the stage and pounds on the wooden door of the set. Wally is now on. And Wally walks out and goes, what do you want? And poor Joseph said, well, we really just want a place to stay. And Wally said, get out of here, there's no room. And Joseph pleaded and said, look, it's been a long journey for us. We've come to Bethlehem from Nazareth, some 60 miles. Can't you give us a place? Wally said, there is no room in the inn. Joseph again pleaded and said, look, my wife's expecting a child. She needs a place to rest. Just give us a corner where we can rest. And Wally said, no, get out of here. There is no room. And Wally stood there while Joseph and Mary turned their backs on him and started to walk across the stage. And Joseph slipped his arm around Mary, and Mary put her head on Joseph's shoulder. And they walked away, and all of a sudden, this pageant took a cockamamie turn. Because Wally said, wait a minute, come back here. Mary and Joseph, you can have my room. <laughs> Let me ask you something, did Wally ruin the pageant? Maybe, just maybe, this was the most Christian of all the Christmas pageants. Amen. Let us pray.
gracious God. The song says we need to make you room. We need so much more than just providing you some room in our lives. We need a total restoration. We need a total makeover. And so by the power of your spirit, let that happen to us. Give us not so much the Christmas we want, but the Christmas we really need this year. We dare to ask that in Jesus' name, amen.